Hey, everyone, and welcome to A Plain Accounts Weekly Podcast. I'm Alicia McClintock here with a guest co-host, my friend, Felicia Larson. Uh, Felicia, how are you? Will you introduce yourself to our guests? You've been a guest before, um, but remind us uh, who you are, what you're working on. Um, how are you doing today? Wow, thanks so much for getting to come back. This is such a joy. I love talking about the word of God in general and especially with you. So thanks for Aww. the invite. It's so fun. Um, what I'm working on these days, well, coaching and consulting with church leaders and pastors is one of the things I'm so blessed to get to do. And the other is um, launching our cohort for um, women of color in preaching and teaching preacher chicks. So really excited in this season to be working on that. Yeah, I'm so excited to have been a collaborator in this in this process to see like how God is um, stirring up a desire for preaching and mentoring and especially amongst um, young developing women of color. So we are currently accepting applications for that cohort and you can reach out. I'll provide Felicia's um, name and uh, contact info if you would like later in our show notes. Um, but we're super excited about this opportunity to just continue to talk about preaching and to empower young women um, of color who are called to preach the word of God. It's super exciting. Yeah. Well, this week we have a really crazy passage from Mark chapter six. And this is not exactly the sort of passage that we would normally pick for like for a sermon if left to our own devices, but the lectionary kind of points us to this place. So we'll do a little bit of background work to figure out how it fits into the broader story of who God is, what God is up to in the world, and then the story of the gospel as well. Like what is Mark, the gospel writer, trying to do or trying to say in this story? But before we dive into that, like that conversation, I'm going to go ahead and read the text. This is Mark chapter six. I'll start with verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus's name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah, and still others claimed he's a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had been found and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. 
The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whew, that feels really weird to say thanks be to God after a story like that, right? Um, but, but we believe, like, as we read the scriptures, that God's good news and God's good word comes through, even in some of the really sticky and tricky passages. So um, where do you think we should start with this, with this story about Herod and his wife? So we've got adultery, we've got murder, we've got uh, dancing, <laughs> it's like, I mean blessings on all of you who are reading this in your churches this week. Well, you know, I find it interesting because we are always talking about in the time of the Bible, did people believe in the resurrection? And I just think immediately at the top, it says, you know, Jesus is preaching. And then they're talking about, well, is this John the Baptist raised from the dead? So I don't know if they think about second life, resurrection, how they understand this, but there is certainly a very spiritual element to the life that they live. And, and they understand not even necessarily ghosts, but that people inhabiting a body and walking around and that scared them. (laughs) And I was like, and it should the way they were living. <laughs> and, and that initial reaction points to the ways that um, John and Jesus have been occupying these parallel stories from the beginning, right? Remember, Mark starts his gospel with John the baptizer saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. John is preparing the way and baptizing people in the wilderness, right? And um, and and we see these sort of interwoven stories in all of the other gospels as well. Most specifically, Luke, who has uh, like John and Jesus's parallel birth narratives, right? Yes. Where we have like John, the miraculous pregnancy and Jesus, the miraculous pregnancy. We've got like John, the preacher. We've got Jesus, the preacher. We have uh, John <laughs> unjustly imprisoned and and killed by state-sanctioned violence. We have Jesus unjustly imprisoned, killed by state-sanctioned violence, both at the hands of these like vacillating, unpredictable political leaders, right? So there's there's this like interwoven parallel story happening here. Um, and and I, I think like that's important to remember when we come to the story that's primarily about John. Uh, mm-hmm. We remember that actually the whole story is always about Jesus, that like when when Mark is telling us the story of John the Baptist, he wants us to be, um, to be hearing it and looking at Jesus, like with our, with our eyes kind of, and our ears filling in the gaps of like, what's about to happen to Jesus as John is our like foreshadower, precursor, preparer of the way, right? Yes. It's going to be a pretty gruesome way if this is the way that John is preparing, right? Absolutely. And, and this is one of the things when you bring that up, it makes me think of this. And I, I don't know if this will be encouragement to those listening or not, but I just think all of us, you know, who teach God's word feel like we've been chosen by God, or at least we believe that on some level, because this is not like the easiest space to step into. Right. (laughs) And, and, and so I think about John as the instrument of God. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just because we're the chosen instrument of God doesn't mean we won't go through difficult things. Yeah. And, and so 
I just think of John as, you know, the cousin of Jesus. And, you know, he's the one who left in Elizabeth's womb. And, and, and so I take it back to that, you know, like there's no matter how old you get, people can still like your birth narrative, like the things about you that, that yeah. those things still come to mind. And I'm like, that was that little kid that was, and it's like, as he's grown, as he's become who God called him to be an instrument of God, it's like, to stand in that power, to stand in God's gifting and calling for him meant something different. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then what's super fascinating here, I'm, I don't believe it's in the gospel of Mark. I think it's the gospel of Matthew, but we have, we have another narrative. We have another story about John when he's in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, look, are you the one we waited for or not? Right? Like just because you feel this supernatural call on your life and you've chosen to commit to it with everything that you are to be faithful to the work that God has called you to do. doesn't mean you won't have doubts, right? Like even, even John who, who is here, like at the, I, I think about that story and I think like he's in prison. He knows this, he knows this is the end. Everybody knows who all the Herods are. We know how this story is going to go. Like he he's got some sort of sense there um and I think he he is reflecting on his life and he thinks like was it all in vain like have I come to this moment in prison facing certain death eventually who knows when exactly but eventually facing certain death like have I kept the good faith like did I did was I faithful did I do the work that God had called me to do or did I throw it away for somebody who's like not actually the one, right? <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so so I think he he sends his disciples to talk to Jesus and Jesus's disciples. He's like, are you the one we've waited for or not? And Jesus sends back a message to say, tell John what you see, like mm-hmm. that people can see clearly. People can move in freedom. People mm-hmm. are hearing the good news and the, and the sick are being made well and being made whole. And, and I, I, imagine as I'm like filling in with kind of sacred imagination, the gaps in the story, John in this dark prison cell, telling himself that story over and over again, that, that outside the prison walls, Jesus is preaching the good news and people are being made whole and being made well. And, and I, and I hope that that's some sort of like light or comfort to him in these moments, or that's how it's to me. Well, and I, I also think though that Jesus alludes to those things and you know those allusions to the hebrew scriptures and like here are the things that you expected of the messiah but i also have to think as well that then what john does is gets his own holy imagination about okay i was called to be the forerunner the prophet who came before well how were prophets treated yep (laughs) you know and so it's like So when we can start to tell ourselves, well, you know, I have this great band of people following me. I had people coming out to the wilderness, listening to my messages. I had people getting baptized. Like there was a height um, in his ministry of people coming, people showing up, people believing in his message. And then it was like, not only because Jesus stepped into that space, but it's just the kind of the natural progression of some people's ministries that it's not that God has called you to have this great ministry forever and always. It's like, it's for a defined amount of time. And when what God has called you to do is done, then we move on to the next thing. That doesn't mean yeah. like John, we die, but maybe some part of our dream dies to, for it to yeah. continuously be forever and ever progressive into this great space or whatever. Yeah, for John, he looks at the, you know, the previous prophets and goes, oh yeah, I see truth there. 
Yeah. Or, I mean, as you're saying that, like, maybe it's not some part of our dream that dies, but maybe it's a part of our ego that dies. Right. Amen. Like, maybe, Amen. That's, maybe that's the thing that gets beheaded, right. This, like this, <laughs> this need to be, um, to be super public, to have like a big following to be mm-hmm. and, and, like, not that God isn't working through those things. Clearly God is absolutely working through those things. Mm-hmm. But, but I think sometimes those seasons of ministry end and like, and our, it's our ego that <laughs> needs to be yeah. or sacrificed to like move faithfully into the next thing. Right. Mm-hmm. As, as John's next faithful thing is martyrdom. Like, yes. whoo, that's, that's heavy. And I'm, I'm reminded that this, that this story is sandwiched in between Jesus sending out the 12, warning them that they're about to be rejected where they go. They're also about to receive amazing hospitality and see God's work like tangible immediately in their lives. Right. It's, it's a mixed bag, but Jesus, yeah. Jesus like counsels them in how to uh, deal with rejection, to shake the dust from their feet. Like that, that there is there is a shaving away of ego that's happening among the disciples. And mm-hmm. then after, after these, um, these events, after this story, the next story that we have is Jesus feeding the multitude, like the, the crowd of 5,000. So after this, like shaving away of ego, there's this miracle of abundance and yes. yeah, that's getting ahead of, of like the text for this week. <laughs> but, but I think that's like, that's enfolded in here in this kind of foreshadowing character of John right well yeah and I just I think it's just very important for you know us as pastors and leaders to realize that just because there are things that may be removed from our life or our influence that we that we see you know outwardly that that doesn't mean that we're not continuing to be influential I mean even in prison you know if we look at this story specifically even in prison John was being influential so much so that Herodias wanted him dead just yeah. his mere presence and the holiness and the righteousness with which he lived was an affront to these people that yeah. wanted him gone. And yet uh, the martyrdom, the, the dying for the, the message of the gospel and the message of holiness was so important to John, his willingness to do that, that we're still talking about him thousands of years later. So yeah. he was not forgotten, even though he was beheaded. Nope. And this perhaps is a good place to remember that we do not have the good news of the gospel without incarcerated persons, right? That they, they have been like, they, they have been influential in the whole story that we tell, right? John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, uh, Joseph way back in Genesis that, that they're like, that, that God is doing something powerful amongst them and and, uh, and that is a call toward compassion and justice oriented action on our parts as well here now. Um, yes, which also makes me think when you say incarcerated persons, it makes me think of Daniel as well. And while yeah. it was a form of incarceration that it doesn't always end in death. Sometimes God shuts the mouth of the lion, <laughs> you know? And so don't want it to sound like a complete downer that like, you know, <laughs> stepping into ministry is always like head lobbed off. Sometimes it's God puts you in the midst of lions and then brings you out. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But uh, you know me, like feminist scholar and theologian. And I want to talk about the women here. Yes. Let's do this. There's some like really interesting things happening. There's there's Herodias who holds a grudge and immediately decides like I have to get rid of John the Baptist. Yes. Um, and then Herodias's daughter, she's named in another gospel as Salome, but she's not named in the in the Gospel of Mark. Um, but but there's like it just seems like there is this like tragic downfall of John's martyrdom and like caught up in the force of like politics and interpersonal family drama and massive manipulation. There are these women and I yeah. am curious about this. <laughs> well, you know, it, it meant, it made me think for all the ways that I want to uplift women and power and our use of power in, in very important ways, I have to remember that we as women are just as marked by the fall of sin sure. that inhabits this earth. And so I don't want to just paint us as only good, but to realize that that holding a grudge, like we had talked about this before coming on that I think about when Jesus said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And then he backs it up to simply being angry. And you realize that holding a grudge is the way anger manifests itself. And what was birthed in her heart was a plan to murder. Yep. And so just to realize that women aren't, we're not the only ones when given power. I mean, men aren't the only ones when given power that they use it ruthlessly, that sure. women can too. We can in negative ways wield our power. Sure. It's, it's easy. It's easy to paint Herod as the villain here, right? We've got yes. Herod the Great, who is the father of Herod Antipas, who's the Herod in this story. Herod the Great, who who uh, <laughs> murdered um, hundreds of babies trying to kill infant Jesus, right? And yes. then uh, son Herod Antipas, who is the beheader of John the Baptist. We have another um, another son like, or a grandson of Herod the Great, who, uh, <laughs> who was um, the Herod in Paul's time. Like, yeah. these, these folks are, are the villains in the New Testament, make no mistake, power hungry, manipulative, violent, unpredictable. It's easy to paint them like exclusively as the villains, but there's a lot more nuance that's happening here. Um, yeah. and, and it's a lot more personal than political sometimes. Or I guess what I'm trying to say is that in these stories, the personal is political and the political is personal. And all of that Absolutely. is like mixed up in this like nasty tangle of sin and um, unholy desires and manipulating and using of other people to get what you want. And it's, mm. it's some nasty reality TV drama for sure. <laughs> and certainly stuff you would see plastered on the front of any magazine that we're like, salaciously going what is that about you know <laughs> yeah. like yeah. but I'm like I don't know that I want to like be in the middle of this story um but I I just think what was it about this young lady so not just mom but about the daughter that knew if I just throw my hips a certain way I can get whatever I want like that is really scary to me that that this was going on in the heart of this stepdaughter 
in yeah. front of her father and his guests. I'm just like, I feel, I mean, extrapolating out, but I feel sad for her in the, how the rest of this story could play out. Like, I don't know, but I'm just like, if that's, if your stepdad is willing to give you up to half his kingdom for one dance, what were you dancing? Like, you know, I just. Well, and, and who, and who made you? Did you have a choice? Like, like, yes, and, the, right? and the way that she knows to go like straight back to her mother to ask for something. I'm like, man, this, this woman Herodias has her claws in deep in manipulation and conditioning and all Mm -hmm. of that sort of stuff and so I like I have a lot of like compassion and um and sadness for for the daughter in the story I'm like like she didn't choose her family like who who knows knows how and why she got kind of stuck and wrapped up in this situation um but she's also not totally powerless or or without choices, right? Like if someone says, I'll give you up to half my kingdom, you say like, yes, please. I want a palace by the beach. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just, you me? just me? Okay. Maybe, maybe not, but I'm, that would be me. <laughs> like get me out of this place. Like, <laughs> uh, no, yeah. I mean, not to be flippant, but to, but to say that, that they're there, I guess what I'm trying to point to is that there are like generational consequences to the sin that has exploded that has started Mm -hmm. from adultery that became like an even bigger affair as Herod uh divorced his first wife and brought his brother's wife into his household and clearly she's brought along her daughter with them and it's it's snowballed into this like nasty piece of work that like only continues to get worse and worse um and you said something really thoughtful before we went live that they're like as all of this is unfolding they're in the presence of one of the most powerful preachers of the day who's talking about repentance who's talking about god's forgiveness who's talking about god's reign of light and love and peace and justice and calling people to mend their ways and to change um their direction to turn away from these things that have held them captive right like these, these this generational sin, these like unholy desires that are warping like their true potential for thriving whole life, right? Like that's what John is saying. John is saying like, leave those old ways behind, come out into the wilderness, be baptized in water and step into a new life under, under God's way. Right. Exactly. And and they have John with them and they're not listening. Like they're instead plotting to kill him. Well, I don't know. Is maybe Herod listening? What do you think? Well, I mean, you know, the scripture shows us that even, I mean, he protected John, you know, not sure if that was just his, you know, sort of, I'm going to protect so that God's not mad at me sort of thing. I don't know. But it also says that while he, you know, his heart was pricked by things, but he still in some ways enjoyed listening to John. I think again, as teachers, bringing it back to us as preachers, just because everybody says amen doesn't mean they actually like you, you know, (laughs) or they actually like what you're saying, but they realize the truth in what you're saying and then just don't have the willpower or aren't willing to lean into the obedience that's necessary to change. But I I think one of the things is that they missed the gift that John was to their life to call out the sin that, that he was seeing and to give them the opportunity to repent and to receive God's grace and forgiveness. That's what they missed was the opportunity for that with John in their presence. And so killing him was you know, their ability to rid themselves of their guilt in the moment, right? But it's like, just because they killed the messenger didn't change the message, didn't change the reality that they were still steeped in sin, 
they chose rather than to take the long, difficult road of repentance, they chose retaliation and then, you know, this to just kill him, which of course makes me then think of the scripture, the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. And while at this point it was literally John's death, ultimately it's these people's you know, like the searing of their mind, the death to the ability to change. Like wow. they they cut themselves off from the one who was speaking truth into their lives. Yeah, yeah, man. And man, I think one of the things that's really powerful about that scripture from Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, is that in this call to repentance, in this call to baptism, we die to ourselves there there is there is like another another way to talk about the the death that we incur as the wages of sin right that to mm-hmm. repent from sin we must die to our own selves we must die to those desires that like yeah. it's not just the consequences of sin that produce like deathly things in our life but that to turn from sin there must also be a death of some kind but the gift of god is eternal life the like the good news there is that that we come out of that death to self into a brand new life mm-hmm. of like of whole of holiness of hope right um but you but you don't get to the other side of that resurrection piece without the without this like really really dealing with the death right the consequences of death in our life as well as the necessary death to self and to sinful desires right yeah like back to what you said earlier the death to ego right yep there is just that whole thing like if they would have not just heard John's words, but truly heard them. Like, it's like, give the, give us ears to hear, but yet that has to like go f- the, you know, the 12 inches or 18 inches to the heart, right? It's yeah. not just the ears. You have got to then choose who are you going to serve yourself, mm-hmm. your desires, your lusts, or are you going to serve the living God? Right. And that requires a death. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. Absolutely. And, and that, and, and I mean, I, I think that this story just really speaks to that, like snowball effect of sin in our lives. Cause the, cause the longer you keep choosing your own desires, your own power, um, like as long as you keep leaning into those, that lust, that greed, all of that, like the scarier and scarier, the death to self feels and seems right. Yes. Like this, this is the hardening of the heart that we talk about in yes. scriptures, right? Like, like the longer you hold a grudge, the more deeply it's rooted and, and mm-hmm. God's God's miraculous life-saving power can always set us free from those things, but it becomes like so much more difficult at the more entrenched we are in those ways to, to like face down the necessary death to self right? Like absolutely, like it's increasingly more complicated. Um, well, and just the desire to turn around and go right. back. I mean, you just, you just think about, you know, something simple as, as a hike, you can start a hike and be a third of the way up. And then remember, oh, I left my water in the car. Well, who wants to go back down and then come yeah. back up and continue the journey? It's like, well, I may as well just keep going. Yeah. You know, people, people tell, it's like, it's too far to go back. 
And that's the lie we tell ourselves. I'm sure at this point, as John is speaking into this situation with Herodias and Herod, that they're thinking, well, I've already divorced my wife. I've already left my husband. There's no way to turn around. We're already in the temple. We people are in the, in not the temple, in the, you know, um, yeah, in the palace. And so political powers, all those things. And it's like, well, people have already accepted us in this space. Right. So why not just keep going with the charade? Right. And like, and no. <laughs> Right, and that's right, right, on, go back. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the recipe of of the of the famous tragedies that we've been telling like for centuries and centuries. Like that's like that's the tragedy of Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet, like and uh, and Macbeth. Right, that's the tragedy of of Oedipus and like the Greek plays. Like this, this is the formula, right? People say like like we've gone like we've gone too far to turn back now, and it. Uh, it explodes right like it yes. it gets um but but the good news of the gospels it's never too late to turn back it's never yes. too late right never um, right and, and there's nothing impossible with god no matter how far we've gone like we do not get outside the grace of god unless we 100 completely reject it right because right. his grace is bigger than any sin like that's that's the whole point of the cross Right. And any millimeter of turning, the spirit is there and continues to prepare the way and, and draw us continually down that path toward repentance. Uh, Yeah. It's like the, those are the, the kind of threads of good news that I kind of want to draw from this passage. Cause it's, it's, this is one of, one of these, one of those passages where we don't really have a positive example to draw from, but it's more like like we 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 learn from the negative examples presented here and our sacred imaginations based on who God is and who we are as God's people kind of fill in the gaps of how could this have been different? Like mm-hmm. what like what is truly available from God's power, um, from God's purposes? Uh what's what's the role of God's holiness and God's presence here? Um, and, and let us not be the ones who miss it. Right. Yes. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. It's like they had, um, a holy man in their midst and rather than deal with the difficulty that it would take to repent and accept God's love, they chose death. Yeah. Just his, but their own. Exactly. You know, and, and that's the thing is it's like, you know, people as they show up to hear the gospel week after week, you know, that's where the heart, you know, the heart like you talked about comes in is it's like, am I now going to choose to turn around even that millimeter or am I going to continue to walk, you know, stiff necked into my own way? Right. Right. Oh, Oh my gosh, this has been such a good conversation and such a convicting one. Um, any kind of like final thoughts? Like if you were getting up to preach this passage, any kind of final homiletical or exegetical nuggets that come to your mind? Uh, I would say not necessarily in, in that way. I just think, you know, I just remind us all as pastors and preachers that that we may be John in people's lives. We may have the ability to speak truth and just realize it isn't going to always be well-received and yet it's what God calls us to. And so, um, and not that we'll be beheaded, but we may be ousted from people's lives (laughs) because they don't want to hear what we have to say, but to love people enough to tell the truth. Yeah. And then pray for them, pray, 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 because nothing is impossible with God. Yeah. 
That's so good. And then I think the, the only addendum I would add to that is that like to be bold enough to tell the truth and to trust that the truth will do its own work, that God's truth, God's message, God's word will do its own work. That if I'm bold enough to show up and to partner with God, to, to speak the truth in love, God, God will take care of the rest. Amen. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast. It's always a joy to talk scripture. And um, I'll just remind our listeners to check out the website, aplanaccount.org for some stellar written commentaries, um, as well as some discipleship resources and music resources. I'll point you all to our Facebook page where you can chime in with some discussion. We'd love to hear how you're working with this text this week or, um, or other ways that you're incorporating incorporating the lectionary into your time of worship together on Sundays. Um, Thanks as always for joining us. Preach boldly and we'll see you next week.